What's going on, guys? And welcome back to the Crew Sports Pod, episode number 27. On today's pod, we're going to be breaking down the last three games of the great 2022 NCAA tournament in New Orleans. And then maybe do a little preview as the NBA playoffs are getting closer. So we might wrap the pod up with some NBA talk. I'm Michael Akeem, as always, joined here by Vito Patel. Vito, that was a good ending to a great tournament. Absolutely. The blue blood bath went really well with a couple classic games and one other one that was fairly good for one team. But it was a pretty good ending for sure. Yeah. And we also got the winner of our tournament challenge now. So we'll be reaching out to them, maybe be on the pod. We'll have our first guest ever. So that'll be fun too. But getting into these games, we'll start with the final four. I think the one you were kind of throwing shade at, Kansas Villanova ended up. 16-point game, 81-65 Kansas. Yeah, Kansas was just shooting lights out that game. They couldn't seem to miss, and especially Abaji. Early on, he was like 5-for-5, five five, and he ended the game with 6-for-7 behind the arc. And I, Honestly, the commentator early in the game made a comment saying, I don't even think Abaji hit the rim yet. And it was like after his first five shots, and while well, like Kansas was uh, enjoying a double-digit lead. Yeah, I mean, he started the game off. I think four for four from three. The game started 10-0 Kansas. McCormick was also pretty crazy that game. He had 25 points on 10 of 12 from the floor. Wilson added a double-double, 11 points, 12 rebounds, and Braun had 10 points. I mean, you got to give credit to Villanova, though. They were missing their top scorer, one of their top scorers. Yeah, Justin Moore, he was out for that game. And I mean, that definitely showed an impact. Uh, and to add on to that, though, uh, Villanova, the, game, the score doesn't like it's not as bad as the score seems. So Kansas had an early lead and they pretty much held on to it. But Villanova came back, brought as close as six, I believe. And then Kansas went on another run to end the game. But it was a pretty entertaining game still. So I don't want to give them that much shade. I mean, Kansas was up as much as 19 in the first half. But yeah, when you kind of thought Villanova was starting to get closer with their run, like when they got within, you know, six or seven, Kansas just ended up pulling away. And what's crazy, uh, you know, because Kansas got that big lead and then never looked back, Villanova didn't lead for a single second that game. So, so straight dominance by Kansas in a Final Four game. Wow. Yeah, I guess a really good number two seed. No, congrats to Kansas for pulling that one off. And I think McCormick scored the most points in his career in that game. Uh, I mean, he scored 25. Not much shooting, but a lot of domination inside. I mean, only two misses, so. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, still, still, it was a fun game, good game to watch. Um, but the other Final Four game was definitely a classic. UNC versus Duke. The first time these two teams have ever met in the tournament, which is crazy for how long and how great this rivalry is. And then potentially Coach K's last game if he loses. Davis, first year coach in North Carolina after you know the legendary Roy Williams. So much hype around this game, and it absolutely lived up. North Carolina ends up potentially ending Coach K's career. They win 81-77. We said it was going to take like, Two or three guys from North Carolina dropping 20 to maybe beat Duke, but only only Love dropped 28. Uh, you had R.J. Davis got close, 18.7 rebounds. Manic, 14 points, and, and Baca, only 11 points with 21 rebounds. Yeah, North Carolina gets the boards really well as a team, but especially Baca. I mean, Baca, 
he's been so crazy in this tournament. Uh, multiple games of 20 plus rebounds. And like, this is a big stage on the final four. Uh, the most impressive performance of everyone, though, was uh, Caleb Love to me. And like, uh, this kind of reminded me of the game he had against UCLA. So in UCLA, he scored like 30 points, but a majority of them happened in the late second half. I think 20 plus of those points happened in the late second half. And then this game, he scored 22 in the second half to uh, really take that home, including the big clutch three. Continuing off what you said about Baca earlier. He had a double-double in every game this tournament. So I think he's the first player to ever have six double-doubles throughout a tournament. He had 99 boards throughout the tournament, which I think ties the record. All that with he got hurt, obviously, the end of that game, and then fouled out, so he missed the very end of that. Then played through that ankle injury in the championship. Uh, You couldn't tell, though. Grabbed 15 boards in that, too. But this game was close the whole time. I think there was, like, 18 lead changes, and the biggest lead by either team throughout the game was seven which is like, that's just one small run is seven points. This this lived up to the hype for sure. And like, you know, the commentators are saying like, rarely do you see a game have this much buildup because, you know, this is obviously North Carolina Duke first time in March Madness, but also uh, Coach K's last game. And it, it delivered. And I was really scared that North Carolina was going to fold under pressure and Duke was just going to come out full head of steam. But North Carolina played up to their competition and even beat them, which was really impressive to me. Yeah, we both had Duke winning this one. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm not too mad, though. I was kind of I was kind of happy North Carolina beat them, even though I picked Duke for sure. I mean, a great game, though, still. But we highlighted all the things North Carolina did well on the Duke side, though. I mean, you still had Ben Carroll drop 20 points, 10 rebounds. Trevor Keels off the bench was huge. Came in and dropped 19. And then you had uh, Wendell Moore Jr. add another 10. But Ben Carroll in this tournament, I mean, I think after watching him, solid. Like, he's a lock for top three come the NBA draft. 10 for 19 from three in the tournament. He looks so polished and, like, with his size. And the craziest thing is he's only 19. Like, he's a freshman. Yeah. Like, wow, he's not even close to hitting his ceiling. That's what I was about to say. He does not look like a freshman. No, no, not at all. He's, I don't know. I don't even know an NBA comparison because, like, I would say kind of like Jason Tatum, but, like, he's taller than Tatum, and he, I think he has a bigger frame than Tatum. I don't think he's quite as athletic, but he could probably work on that. He's, he's not. He moves pretty well for someone that's, like, 6'10". No, absolutely. Exactly. So I can't, I can't really even say anything, like, bad, really. And he doesn't even play too bad of defense. I saw him make a couple of plays that game. Yeah, no, he's he's pretty good all around. I mean, you can't be that bad if you're gonna if you're a lock for top three pick in the draft. So that's fair. Yeah. Um, I think one last thing, maybe about the game. I think what helped North Carolina is Duke's bigs got in foul trouble early. Um, you know, Mark Williams early foul trouble, and then Theo Johnett's coming for him, but then he was also in foul trouble. They both had four fouls for a while. Um, and, and Mark Williams, who in this tournament shot 29 for 36, that's like a little over 80% from the field, 16 blocks in the tournament, which, I mean, he didn't have any against North Carolina. So that's averaging four blocks Jeez. a game before that game. He was only able to play 16 minutes against North Carolina due to foul trouble. So I think that was huge for the Tar Heels. No, losing him was definitely tough. Uh, but I will say there's probably factors to see why he got in foul trouble. I mean, I'm sure the rest probably made a bad call or two, but I mean, that's part of the game though. Yeah. And I mean, the part of the amount of driving that North Carolina does, especially their board dominance, I could see, uh, and back 
could probably like I just see he could have been forced to make a couple fouls. And so I won't take that away from North Carolina either. Yeah, but like you said, rare a game with so much hype. It lives up to it and then like and more. All that set up a great championship game, which I don't even know if it was as hyped as the North Carolina Duke game, but UNC versus Kansas. It's like a Roy Williams battle because he, he was the Kansas coach before Bill Self, and obviously he was the North Carolina coach up until last year. Well, I mean, also, great game. Absolutely. This game ended up score-wise even being closer than the North Carolina Duke game. I mean, not by much, but uh, there's only a three-point game at the end of it. And unlike this other game, though, there was a lot of big, bigger differences in leads. Uh, North Carolina led by a total of 16 points at some point, and they were up 15 at the half. And that's after Kansas started off up by a lot in the very beginning of the game, too. And then North Carolina flipped it on them, and they went up huge. Absolutely, yeah. I think Kansas started off 7-0 just, just to start the game. Not a good way to start the game here in North Carolina. And, yeah, 22-point swing in the first half alone. And then in the second half, Kansas comes back from being down 15, and then they go up by big, and North Carolina almost comes all the way back. This is truly, yeah, just a game of runs. Where was hotter, and I guess at the end... <laughs> and big runs. Yeah, it was a... No one could play consistent basketball. Things I would point out in this game, though, is that North Carolina absolutely dominated the boards because they had 24 offensive rebounds. But I think that's the only reason this game was even close because they only oh, shot yeah. 31% as a team. Like, they, they were not making buckets if it wasn't for the offensive rebounds. 24 offensive rebounds for North Carolina. So many second-chance points. I don't have the stat in front of me, but I just, just watching it, I just knew they had to have probably – somewhere around the 20 second chance points. The visually just shows that this North Carolina team was a team filled with grit. And I think that's what really got him here. But like Kansas was able to keep up even despite all the offense rebounds, they uh, end up the end of the game shooting a uh, 44%, which isn't like crazy, but it's pretty good. Uh, I'm sure North Carolina wasn't facing a competition of shooting that well in this tournament like, that they couldn't match offensively. I mean, just to continue off like the North Carolina rebounding, Again, the stats, you had R.J. Davis, 15 points, 12 rebounds. Backot, 15 points, 15 rebounds. Brady Manick, 13 points, 13 rebounds. Even Puff Johnson off the bench, 11 points, 6 rebounds. Sheesh. Three double-doubles in North Carolina. I mean, Kansas had a bunch of double-digit scores on their squad. Oh, yeah. McCormick, 15 points and 10 rebounds. Wilson, 15 points. Mart- Remy Martin, 14 points off the bench. Braun had 12 and 12, and Abaji had 12. Yeah, just a really balanced performance. And I mean, I wasn't too surprised since Kansas seemed to be a very well rounded team. Like everybody seemed to play a factor most of their games uh, coming into this championship game. One thing that really surprised me, though, the hero of game one, I mean, the game against Duke for North Carolina. Caleb Love, he only had 13 points, but that wasn't even the worst part. He he scored five for 24 and only made one of his eight three-pointers. Like, he was struggling, and he kept on shooting. So he did have that, like, ankle tweak during the game, and, and I thought he was going to come out because, like, it was very visible. He was struggling to walk, but he waved off the sub, I think, or something, or maybe they don't have subs <laughs> for him. Uh, <laughs> But he kept going, and then one of those threes that he missed was the potentially game-tying one. And it looked on TV from the side. It looked like it was good, but it was just like behind the basket. He's so close, but yeah, Caleb Love, 
He played well, but not this game. Yeah, his hot streak came to an end. I mean, and that's the kind of maybe danger of you got like four superstars, and like that's where all your scoring comes from. I think every game in this tournament so far, at least one of them has broke out for twenty plus. Sometimes multiple. I'd say there's been two thirty point performances and one like twenty eight point performances from what I remember last pod and just like uh, Caleb's last game. So like. Yeah, so none of them actually cracked. I mean, he had two 15s and, and two 13s, but none of them cracked 20. And <laughs> maybe the first time they don't have one of those four guys crack 20 points, which is not, like, easy. We're saying, oh, they didn't get 20 points. Like, that's not easy to do. Um, but you see, the first time that doesn't happen, they go down. And, unfortunately, it's in the championship, the game that matters the most. But the craziest stat from this game, we said it was a game of huge runs, back and forth, and the momentum was everywhere. Both teams led for 18 minutes and 32 seconds each. Like, exactly the same. Wow. I don't even... How is that even possible? Like, down to the second? Wow. that That's crazy. Ernie Johnson, I think, said it in the in the post game. I just looked at everyone I was watching it with. I was like, how is that even possible? Yeah. That shows you how... Like, that perfectly puts it in how, like, close and back and forth the game was. Absolutely. No, it was an amazing championship game. And I still feel like the North Carolina Duke game is going to get a lot more attention even post-tournament. But this Kansas-North Carolina championship game was insane. And then after the game, they announced that Abaji was the most outstanding player of the Final Four. So even though, I mean, he only scored over 20, I think, once throughout the tournament, he was still, like, the focal point, I would say, for Kansas. Uh, I mean, a lot of things ran through him, and, and he was definitely, he was, like, their energy guy. And he's going to be in the NBA, so a great way to end your 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 senior season for for Abaji. Absolutely. Definitely might help his draft stock go up. I think he's supposed to be a lottery pick. Top 10 projected, I believe. So it'll be exciting to see him in the NBA. Although the other fun thing from from the championship game was Cam Johnson's brother, Puff Johnson, for North Carolina, came off the bench and provided huge 11 points and and energy plays. And he went all out, literally put it all on the floor um at one point during the game but so that, that was fun to see him coming off the bench uh north and i played great i don't think very many people expect him to get this far and this is all in davis's first year as head coach so i'm, I'm excited to see they're losing a couple guys you know as seniors but and to the nba but exciting to see that then this north carolina you know blue blood franchise is, is definitely in good hands I like it when the best teams, best programs in any sport uh, stay stay relevant. Like the Blue Bloods in football, I want them always to be up there. I want, you know, the good basketball, like when the big markets in the NBA, like Lakers and stuff, when they're good, it's usually good for the league. So, yeah, it's good that North Carolina is still in good hands. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see you know, how one of the other Blue Bloods, how Duke is going to be next season. Great career for for Coach K, 40 years he's been coaching, Vito. That's almost me and you, our lives combined. Dang. How? How is that? He didn't even look that old. I know he's like 75, but he doesn't even look that old. He's in pretty good health for a 75-year-old. I mean, he started coaching in his 30s then, I guess. Mm-hmm. Wow. Since the, since the 80s, he's been the coach of Duke. And, and they weren't like too... They weren't like a crazy powerhouse back then but i mean he's he's built up this program and if you're there for 40 years you're doing something right yeah absolutely 
No, I mean, he is doing a lot of things right, but all the championships he's got and all the the most tournament wins and just most wins and the dude just been killing it. 1,200 wins. Yeah, he's that's true. It, yeah. Uh, but, you know, hopefully Duke stays in good hands and, and it's a it's a great program, good school. It's hard to get the success North Carolina did one year after a legendary coach leaves, but, you know, we'll, we'll be here next year to see how, how Duke is. But now, great college season. Great tournament. Obviously loved it, right? But now that that's over, we got three or four games left for each team in the NBA regular season. Then we got the play-in tournament from, I think, April 12th to April 15th. And then it's playoff time, baby, already. Yes, sir. I love NBA playoffs. I just love it. And this play-in tournament just makes it so much more interesting because there's there's a possibility that up to a 10 seed could make it and the 7 and 8 seed, you know, it's kind of fun because the 7 and 8 seed usually gets swept or gets, like, losing five or six games anyways. So th- this kind of makes it interesting. And what's even more interesting is there's a possibility of a powerhouse in both conferences to make it into the play-in. Yeah, that's crazy how I, I was always thinking, like, when they came up with this play-in tournament uh, last year, the craziest thing now would be if a 10 seed, you know, gets to the finals or whatever. And, you know, the only way that I see that happening is something like like how the Nets are the 10 seed right now in the East. So imagine the Nets with KD and, and Kyrie as a full-time player now. That's like, that's not a real 10 seed. That's a two or three seed disguised as like a 10 seed. And quite possibly a one seed. If, but Ben Simmons won't be playing this season uh, and he's going to be gone for the play-ins. We might see him in the playoffs but even without him, like Kyrie has dropped two fifty point, I mean one fifty point game, one sixty point game. Katie's dropped an NBA high of three fifty point games, and they've been dropping 30, 40 point games all the time. Like they're boat walking buckets, and yeah, you don't want to see them in the first round. No, that's not. I'm telling you, that is not a ten seed. And <laughs> and when they play together, which they haven't got to do too much, and I'm I want to see Ben Simmons there. I want to see like how he's gonna fit in, what he's gonna do. I think that's gonna be not easy to like build that chemistry. It doesn't happen in, in one or two games, you know. That's why the seasons are eighty two games long. So you you play together, you learn to play together, and, and then come playoff time, you're solid. Exactly. No, you need that chemistry, especially going to playoffs. But I will say Ben <laughs> Ben Simmons style of game, he doesn't need to get hot shooting because you know that they're gonna happen. <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's true. Yeah, I feel like. You don't need too much uh, to be a lockdown defender, which is his biggest asset. He gets a valuable amount of rebounds, and he's a good passer. And I mean, when you have so, as many scorers as the Nets have, especially Kyrie and KD, I, I feel like Ben Simmons could get into like groovy and within the playoffs. But I'd love to see him on this team, but I don't know if he will at all. Yeah, it keeps getting delayed. Um, but, you know, all he needs to do is play in the finals if they get there, so... Yeah, true. That would help. But anyways, the Eastern Conference in general. So the Heat, your Heat, are the number one seed, and will probably yeah. probably stay that way. But that might that be a good thing if you guys play the Nets the first round. Oh yeah. But see, what's interesting about that right now is, as we speak, let me double check this. But as we speak, the the Nets are only one game behind, like the Hawks, which are the eight seed. Which the eight seed, the reason why that's important is because they play the seven seed for the seven seed. Uh, and right now the Hawks are losing and the Nets are winning. Yeah, the Nets can get the seven seed. That means the Heat won't see them until the conference final. Thank God, that puts them on the complete opposite yeah. side. Actually, facts. Yeah. No, because you'd totally rather play the Hornets, or let's say. 
I would rather play almost anyone. Yeah. In the playoffs in the Nets. Yeah. I'm telling you, that is the worst. Well, I guess the best 10 seed. The worst for anyone playing against them. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Because, I mean, folks are still talking. Like, they're one of the top five teams in finals odds as a 10 seed right now. Like, I think on, like... <laughs> like <laughs> what kind of a 10 seed is that? <laughs> exactly. A 10 seed with two superstars <laughs> and arguably the best player of the game. Like, yeah, that's not a 10 seed. But anyways, what I was going to get at is... The Hornets are also losing right now, and the Nets are up. So right now, like as we're recording this pod, we do see the Nets as a ten seed, but uh, they could very well be an eight seed by the end of tonight. I hope so. And it's just as tight up top though, besides the Heat. So then the Celtics, Bucks, and Sixers are all within one game. So the Celtics are up by half a game, and uh, Bucks and Sixers are tied record wise. Uh, but Bucks have the tiebreaker; they're number three. And the 76ers are number four. Yo, the East, I mean, we're we're going to have to wait until literally the last day to figure out where everyone's going to fall. Uh, it's so tight, top to bottom. Like, even the, the Nets as the 10 seed, in, in quotes, they're only 10 and a half games outside of the Heat, which, like, being a 10 seed and being only 10 games back, like, that's <laughs> that means it's pretty tight throughout. Oh, my God, yeah. that That, that is so rare. I was going to say, even another tie within this is in the dead middle. So the Bulls and the Raptors are tied uh, record-wise, too. And Raptors are winning right now, so it seems like the Bulls are going to fall to a sixth seed. So I don't know. There's just a lot of moving parts in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I, I don't think – we're not going to be able to figure this out until until it's set at the end of – because all these teams are going to keep moving around until, after the, like, until the last day mm-hmm. um, with how tight it is. It's not – it's not so easy to tell. The West, on the other hand, I mean, the Suns locked up the one seed like two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, they're insane. 60 wins early on. And they lost the last two games, too. They were they were 62 and 14 at some point. Um, and then you got seven games behind them, the Grizzlies. 12 and a half games back, the Warriors. 13 and a half games back, the Mavs. Like, like we said, the Nets are 10 and a half games out of the one seed, and they're the 10 seed. The Warriors are 12 and a half games behind the one seed, and they're the three seed. The Suns have been playing incredibly well, and then the Grizzlies, but without John Morant, is the best team ever. <laughs> did you see the 20-2 and two record without John Morant so far this year? I did. He's been out for a while, and, and they keep playing. They had one game where they won, and I don't think they had any of their starters. Even. Yeah, it was against the Suns. <laughs> oh yeah, their team is so tough. Because I mean, I think we were talking about this earlier when we did an NBA pod. Uh, the Suns, I mean, the Grizzlies have like their top eight scores outside of Stephen Adams uh, are twenty five or younger, and so they're just a super young, energetic team that could play well together. And you don't really see that much chemistry with a young team. Usually, they're kind of like egotistical, and so that kind of that kind of makes sense, though. Like, I'm not saying Ja is egotistical, but he is more ball-dominant than the other guys, so it kind of makes sense that when he's gone, you know, they're just moving the ball and beating everyone. Yeah, but when you get to the playoffs, I mean, you see this every year. The only thing that matters in the playoffs is, are your superstars. Absolutely. That's true. They got to make those big buckets, and that's that's all that counts, which they do have a superstar, though. Ja is within the MVP talk. I will say what really surprises me, though, with the West so far is the Mavericks, because I know they have Luca, and I guess Spencer Dinwiddie's pretty good. But how are they doing so well? Luca, <laughs> yeah, probably. Is this the year Luca gets them past the first round? Wow, he hasn't won a playoff series, has he? That's tough. 
He just needs help, bro. That's all. That's really all. I don't know who's gonna be helping him, but I mean, yeah, they're in the four spot. So, and they they were in the three spot for a little bit. I would actually, if I were the Mavericks, I'd rather see the Nuggets, just because. Okay, Jokic is playing lights out. He might. He's probably gonna win the MVP this year, I think. Uh, but Michael Porter Jr. is out, and uh, Jamal Murray's out. So, I mean, amazing work for Jokic to take him this far. But like you said, you need star powers in the playoffs. Meanwhile, the Jazz, you got Mitchell back and you got Gobert. I I saw another crazy stat. This this you might not even believe because I didn't believe it when I first saw this. But Donovan Mitchell averages two passes per game to Rudy Gobert. Not assist, two passes a game. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> there's definitely chemistry issues going on there. That's why they went from a one seed last year to now a six seed. But pretty much the same roster. I mean, yeah, on top of that, though, you can also tell, you know, those two, I don't think are the best friends. No, no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I think Mitchell should go somewhere else. Oh, you think they should hold up to Gobert? Well, no, because I think Mitchell somewhere else is going to make a team like so great and so fun. Yeah. Gobert's just a classic rim protector, rebounder. But Donovan Mitchell's a super athletic young star. That's the thing. I don't really care what Gobert does, but I, I like Mitchell. So seeing Mitchell on, like, I don't know, the Mavs <laughs> yeah. playing with Luka oh. or something. Oh, him and Luka. Oh, my God. Luka would throw oops to Mitchell. Oh, mm-hmm. that'd be nice. That'd be the, one of the best backcourts. Absolutely. Or him joining Ja. That, the Grizzlies are just anywhere. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he needs he needs a a superstar scorer with him because Gobert is just a pure defender. Yeah, I think this side though is a little more set. I mean, maybe some like the Warriors and Mavericks could switch spots. Uh, maybe the Jazz and Nuggets could switch spots. Um, and then looking down at the play-in though, that the Lakers are. In real danger of not making it to the play-in even. They're right now, what are they, two games behind the Spurs and the Spurs on the tiebreaker with four games to go. So you need the Spurs to lose a few and the Lakers. more concerning thing is you need the Lakers to win a few. And they played the Suns, Warriors, Nuggets, and Thunder. So that's three pretty tough games. And and then the Thunder was your best bet to win. But you need to win more than one. Damn, it's just crazy to believe that they have three superstars on your squad and they're probably not going to make the playoffs because I don't think I don't see it happening with that kind of schedule left. No, I don't think so either. And I mean, AD didn't start playing until like three games ago and you had LeBron's missed, uh, I think, 20, around 20, 22 games, right? Yeah. And they're not going to win many without him. And he's not playing tonight. And I mean, they're playing the Sun. So I mean, even if he played, I don't even know if they win. <laughs> yeah, so I think if you're the Lakers, you play LeBron against the Thunder, and you play LeBron against one other team, maybe the maybe the Warriors. Let him drop like forty pieces in each of them. So I think he needs he needs two more games to be eligible for the scoring title. So let him play those two games, stay a top scoring title. He'd be like the oldest player ever to win the scoring title, I think. It's an accolade, I guess. But, I mean, Embiid is right behind him. And Embiid is going crazy right now. Yeah, he dropped a 40-piece this weekend. And dropped 45 today. Mm-hmm. So. Actually, Embiid might win this, bro. <laughs> I can't see him not winning this now. Because, I mean, I don't know how this math works. But I'm sure if the two back-to-back 40-pieces is going to help him. Well, then you get LeBron in there to drop a couple 40-pieces of his own. And there you go. That's 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 how you make the math work. <laughs> yeah, 
But yeah, I mean, in terms of playoff hope, well, you got to get through the playing tournament, and then you're playing the Suns. So that's not a very favorable matchup either. Yeah, I was gonna say, even if they somehow manage to squeeze by and make the playoffs, which I give them less than ten percent chance right now, uh, they they don't have a good round one matchup. I mean, the thing is, though, if you know one of the teams outside of the Warriors are to knock off the Suns, I'm thinking it's the team with LeBron on it. And I mean, at least he's got AD playing right now, so yo, they're a good team for sure. Been healthy. And they are healthy, but they're they're thirty one and forty seven. There's not much you can do about that. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's not even in their hand. Even if they do win out, if the Spurs win two games, they're in over the Lakers as the ten spot. So, which is okay. To be fair, is somewhat fair. Like that record is pretty. Like I don't think I've seen a playoff team ever that bad. Like thirty one and forty seven. Like they're well below five hundred. <laughs> they're below four hundred. Oh shit! Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, a team below um, 400 probably should make the playoffs in my opinion, though. Yeah, but the thing is, if if they're fully healthy, and I mean, basically, come playoff time, you have, like, you have the ball in LeBron and AD's hands the whole game. And, like, then, I I mean, still, it's LeBron James, and it's, yeah, it's LeBron James, so, like, <laughs> they, they can still win <laughs> anyone. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, well, they got to get the playoffs first. And, I mean, I agree with you. It's pretty slim chances just because it's not even in their own. Like, they don't even control their own destiny. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, the Suns, including, like, Lakers tonight, they got. I think the Lakers covered the spread tonight. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? I think it's 12 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> They're not even respecting the Lakers in this way. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, 12 and a half. Well. Honestly, I can see it going either way. If the because if the Suns are actually trying, and then you got no LeBron, yeah, I, I could see it, but I don't know. Oh well, I'm super excited. Next week, I think next pod will be around playing time, so you know it's about to get exciting. I think next week we'll do the pod right after the playing. Like I said, the playing will be April 12th to April 15th, so that ends on Friday. Probably. Do a pod over the weekend then, right after the play-in. We'll have the playoff picture set, and it'll be go time for NBA playoffs. And, oh, looking forward to that. Um, we might have a guest, our first ever guest, coming on sometime soon, too. Um, yeah, so with all that being said, we will see you guys next week after the NBA play-in tournament.